Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. Welcome to church tonight. Good to see you. I don't know if you can share with this, but I'm excited for what is happening in Belvernon. I'm just believing God is going and uh, is doing some exciting things and only going to increase. Matthew chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, we're continuing in this series entitled Kingdom Come. And we started last week. Our desire is this, that we would uh, be people who seek the kingdom of God in a greater measure. How many believe God has more that he wants us to experience, more that he wants to reveal to us? And so uh, today we're continuing uh, with this. And uh, we've been starting and we're going to be continuing this each week is as we're doing this series, we're going to be praying the Lord's Prayer together. As we, uh, we know it as the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And uh, so in there, this key phrase that Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And one of them says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where we get this, the title of this series uh, for these next weeks as we're journeying this summer together is that we want to see the kingdom of God in increasing measure. We want it to increase in our lives and through our lives. So tonight, would you stand with me? And uh, before we jump into God's word, let's stand together. And I want to pray this prayer together. And uh, again today, uh, just before we get into God's word, let's make this our prayer. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And amen. Amen. God, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our lives. I want to jump into Matthew chapter 11. And uh, here I want to look today at what type of people are involved in the kingdom of God. What, what it takes to be involved in the kingdom of God. In Matthew 11, Jesus is given a commentary of John the Baptist, well-known individual in the Bible, uh, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who came before him. And this is what Jesus speaks about John the Baptist. He says this, I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. How many know? There it is. How would you like that to be said about you? There is no one greater than John the Baptist. And then listen to what he says, though. He says, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are uh, uh, taking hold of it or attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this present time. Somebody say look forward. I want to look tonight about what it is that we're anticipating. He said they looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Father, help us to understand your kingdom, to know it in greater measure, that we would increase for the glory of God. Amen? Here's what I want you to do tonight. Before you're seated, just high-five somebody beside you and tell them this today. Tell them, move into an open space. Move into an open space. Now, that doesn't mean they don't want you to sit with them. That's just the title of our message tonight. Move into an open space. You may be seated. Move into an open space. I want to share just from, from this title, as I mentioned already, into an open space. I am, 
an individual who is in love with crowds, and yet at the same time, I hate crowds. I love crowds because there's an excitement and an energy that comes with a crowd, and I also hate crowds because there can be, in the crowd, you feel uh, just uh, uh, in a place of, of being so closed in and restricted. Uh, we were a couple weeks ago, right at the beginning of the vacation season, my family and I went to Atlantic City. We did not gamble. Uh, I did eat at the buffet, though. That was cool. And um, uh, we went to Atlantic City, and we went out onto the boardwalk. And, of course, you got to spend time on the boardwalk because the signs say the greatest boardwalk in America. So why not visit the greatest boardwalk in America? Here's the only problem, though. The time that we went to the greatest boardwalk in America, it was us and a couple seagulls on the greatest boardwalk in America. How many know it doesn't feel like the greatest when there's not a crowd? The crowd adds the energy. But I bet today that if you would go now to Atlantic City, it probably has more than just a couple seagulls on the boardwalk and even on the beach because you probably can't even find a place to put your towel because there's so many people. It becomes restricted. It becomes a tight area. You want the excitement, but sometimes it can feel the restriction. I want to talk today about moving into an open space that most things that are developed, everything that is developed requires or is done so in the open spaces, the areas of opportunity. When it comes to the open space of God developing in our lives, there are moments we got to break away from the crowd and from the the, the busyness and break away from what's around us into what God would want us to take hold of. The open space are the areas that are yet to be developed in our lives. I believe this, I hope you believe this as well, that there is still more of the kingdom of God to be at work in our lives. How many would agree with me tonight that there's still more of God's kingdom to be at work in my life? I got saved when I was seven years old. It was Christmas when I got saved. It wasn't on Christmas Day. That was the day Christ came to me, which is what Christmas is. And what I mean by that was the day that I realized I needed a savior. I knew that it wasn't enough to grow up in a pastor's home to just be a part of a family or or a Christian family or go to a church, that it was at the age of seven that became Christmas for me, the coming of Christ in my life. Christ came into my life, opened my eyes. You might say, well, what can a seven-year-old know about salvation? I'm telling you what, you raise a child in the places of God, in the presence of God, those children can catch on to things at a young age. And so at a young age, I became sensitive to just the presence, the spirit of God. It was at that moment that Jesus saved my life, but I want you to know that seven-year-old still had a lot of growing up to do in the things of God. I was saved in that moment. Christ came to me, and I believe it was kind of like this, that Jesus, of course, we did not initiate this love relationship with Jesus. The Bible says this, that he loved us before we loved him. He loved us before we loved him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you and I. He initiated this whole thing. When you and I didn't even care about God, God said, I love you so much, I'm going to come and give my life. I'm coming to where you are. How many are thankful for a God who came to where we are? God came to the place that we were. And here's what God did. For me, Christmas for me was when I was seven years old. At the age of seven, Jesus came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Tag, you're it. Because from that moment, Jesus came to me. But guess what happens after that? Now it's my job to come after him. He came in that moment when I was saved at the age of seven. But now from the time, I'm not seven anymore. I'm now a couple years past that point. And each moment that is my pursuit and desire is to follow and pursue him so that the kingdom of God might advance in and through my life. He didn't save me with all. He saved me completely. But he didn't give me all that I needed in that moment, not because he was holding back, but because I was not ready to receive. But how many would agree and recognize that our goal is to advance in the kingdom of God so that we might be prepared to receive even more that God has for us? Does that make sense to anybody tonight? That there's more. I was saved the moment I came to Jesus, but I still had flesh to deal with. 
How many of you still have some flesh to deal with in your life? All right, we've got a house full of holy people. That's awesome. Not every single one of us. So, so the kingdom of God is still needing to advance in my life. I want God to have more dominion, more domain. This word dominion, the, the, where the kingdom is, it dominates. I want God's kingdom to dominate my life. Now, i got to be honest with you. There's still some more attitudes, areas of thinking, and places of my life that I still need God's kingdom to dominate. There, there's a growth that we, that we develop in and what we, what we allow to take place. I, am, I feel like I'm a successful dad because of this. My kids all played soccer at one time or another. I feel like that's the thing to do. You know, if you, if you had kids from, from the time, I think it was like right when we were starting to have kids in the late 90s, and uh, uh, all my kids at one point or another played soccer. It wasn't a thing when I was a kid. Uh, you played baseball, and, um, you know, that was pretty much, that wasn't pretty much it, but that was like the thing to do. But now soccer, everybody does soccer. Uh, when I was, our kids were younger, and they all played some league or some level of soccer. It all started when they were younger. I got to be honest with you, that was the some of the most painful moments of my life is going to my kids' soccer games. I'm a goal-oriented person, and I'm not a soccer player. In fact, I know I'm not a soccer player because I tried to play soccer once, and I ran down the field, and they were like, you have to go back. And I'm like, forget this. I don't like this game. This is not a cool sport at all. I want the sport where you can hit the ball, stop at second, maybe third, stop at first or second, and maybe make it to third, but at some point you're stopping and catching your breath. This game and the sport of just running back and forth, that's not for me. And so I'm not a soccer player, but I understand the concept of soccer is to get this black and white dotted ball into the net. The only problem is it rarely happened at my kids' games that I went to. It was frustrating to me because all you would see was a swarm of kids just following this soccer ball all across the place. No one would ever move away from the soccer ball. They all just kept swarming the soccer ball, kicking it back and forth. The ball made no progress. It was just a huddle and a mass of kids running all over the place. It was pathetic, painful, and I'm glad I'm past it. And I hope if I have grandkids, none of them play soccer. That's my prayer. Just kidding. That sounds a little <laughs> aggressive. Y'all get the five o'clock. It just comes out. I, uh, I, I, I'm not. A, I'm not huge into soccer. But the reason they didn't do the, they didn't play soccer. They didn't make any goal. Is this that no one understood? It wasn't enough to just go to where the ball is, but to anticipate where the ball is going. That there's got to be a place at some point. You don't just go where the ball is. You've got to go to where the ball is going. I, my uh, limited soccer knowledge, I would shout my, my uh, tips from the sidelines, and I would say something like this at every one of my kids' soccer games. Get to an open place. Get to an open space. Because the idea was this. That ball's not going anywhere until someone gets away from the crowd and the ball starts moving opposite of just moving in the huddle in the place of everybody just kicking it around. You see, those kids were playing the sport, but they were never reaching a goal. Maybe tonight, maybe in our lives, that we're in the kingdom, but the kingdom is not advancing in us. We're not moving to the open space, moving to an area so that we can advance and make, make, make uh, advancements in the work of God to allow that to happen, that we could take new territory, going into new places, going into new areas that we can increase. If we're going to see the kingdom of God advance in our lives, we've got to learn how to leave the crowd and move into the open space. We said it last week like this. Last week we said you'll not see what you're not looking for. You'll not find what you're not looking for. This week I want to say this. You will not advance in what you're not anticipating. 
you will not advance in what you're not anticipating. In order for us to see the kingdom of God advance in our life, there has to be some anticipation, something that we're anticipating and looking forward to. The open space is that place where our mind is, is filled with expectation, that we're free from the cumbersome weight of life that's around us, and we're able to go into a place of innovation and not just maintaining. The problem sometimes is that we can get caught up in maintaining, and when we maintain, how many know nothing new is happening? We're just maintaining what has already started. We're just maintaining what is already in motion. Thank God that salvation is in motion, but God doesn't want you to maintain your salvation. God wants you to grow and work out your salvation. He wants it to be produced, to develop, that more would happen. Of course, coming off the series we just came out of, that within reach, that we would reach the things that God has for us, but this is about the kingdom of God expanding in our lives that we would move into open spaces and take territory for the kingdom of God, that he would have dominion and reign in our world, in our lives, that we would step into open places that would advance the kingdom of God. But sometimes instead of being innovative or, or, or experiencing new things, we get stuck at playing it safe and just maintaining where we've been. In a place of maintaining, I, I want you to encourage your neighbor today and just in the kindest way you could tell him right now, just tell him, don't get trapped. Just tell them right now. Tell somebody beside you, don't get trapped. Jesus was talking to a, a group of Pharisees, and they engaged the conversation with Jesus, and they came along to him, and, and they had tried to trap him. And one of them came, who was a teacher of the law, who said, what is the greatest commandment? Because his desire was to trap Jesus. There's over 600 commandments that Jesus could pick from. And so they're waiting for Jesus to pick one that they'd be able to say, well, what about this? And then chase a whole rabbit trail that would then come back to saying, well, you don't really know what you're talking about. You're just blaspheming. You're just, you're just a made up, uh, you, you made yourself a position and a place. And so we ought to kill you. That's what they're trying to do with Jesus. But how many know Jesus would eventually die, just not under their hands? It would be at his own will, the will of God at work in his life, that he would willingly give his life for the purpose and, of course, they tried to trap Jesus. They said, what's the greatest commandment? There's 600 plus to pick from. And Jesus says this, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he continues, these two, these two words, these two commandments, the law and the prophets, everything else hangs on these two commandments. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying you've got 600 plus that you could pick from, but they all hang on this. It's all about this. I wonder if you've, di you've discovered your, what it hangs on. It's all about this. Have you discovered why you have the job you have? Why you have the influence you have? Why God has opened the doors that he's opened to you? That he's given you the influence and the place. Have you discovered why? That everything hangs on this. I don't wake up in the morning just to get a paycheck. I don't just go about my day or have my family just because hey, we made kids. We've got kids. Hey, we've got home. We've got neighborhood. We've got neighbors. No, I recognize that God has given me what I have for this. It all hangs on this. It's all for this. And what is this? That the kingdom of God might come in and through my life. That it might be used for the glory in the kingdom of God. The enemy wanted, or the, the Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus. How many know that there's an enemy in this world that wants to trap you? And trap you doing what? Just huddling around the ball and kicking the ball all over the place but never making any progress. Never advancing. Never scoring. Never making any goals. But just simply existing and moving the ball from place to place without making any progress along the way. How many know the enemy doesn't mind you being a Christian? He just doesn't want you to be a kingdom-minded Christian. 
The enemy doesn't mind you being a follower of Jesus Christ. He just doesn't want you to be a wholehearted, committed follower of Jesus Christ. Because how many know there's a difference? There's a difference between trusting the Lord with all your heart and trusting the Lord at moments when it feels trustworthy. There's a difference of surrendering. Every, there's a difference of being a follower and being one who's fully committed. That we want to not get trapped in this, in this condition. How do we do that? It's going to require us having an anticipation. That we anticipate, that we move into the place and anticipate what it is that God is doing, what it is God is speaking and working in our lives. What is anticipation? It's an eager expectation. We eagerly await. You're waiting for something. You eagerly expect something. You will oftentimes, when you're anticipating something, you get there with your mind before you get there with your experience. How many know what I'm talking about? You get there with your mind before you get there with your, your experience. When you're anticipating something, your mind has already been there. My family and I, in a couple weeks, we're going to take a couple days just to do a last uh, summer hurrah because summer is going to be over whether we like it or not. And we live in the Northeast, so it hardly lasts that long anyway. So, which is the reason why I told my kids we don't need a swimming pool. You can only use it six weeks out of a year. Why pay for it? Anyway, that's just my own thing. I also told them we weren't getting a dog, went back on that. Then, anyway, that's a whole other. I need therapy. All right. Um, this whole idea that you're anticipating I've already booked a place that we're going to be staying. Why? Because I'm anticipating that we're going to arrive at a place and we're going to experience something. I've already looked at pictures of where we're going to be staying. I've already looked at, at what that has to offer in the place that's around. Why? Because I'm anticipating that we're going for an experience. We're going to a place. And I wonder today, have we created open space that we've made reservation for the kingdom of God to show up in our world? Have we made a reservation of we're anticipating God to show up in this place? Have you made a reservation in your marriage that you anticipate God to show up, that his kingdom to show up in your marriage, his kingdom to show up in your, in your community, his kingdom to show up in your children's lives? In the place? Have you made a reservation? And what I mean by reservation is that are you anticipating and expecting and creating space, moving to the open space, that even before it goes, that we don't just do life according to the way it is, but we move according to what we know and believe God is going to do, what God is going to bring about because when we become kingdom minded we don't get trapped according to how things are this is the trap the trap is that group of kids following the black and white dotted ball all over the place and the trap is they just go where the ball is but in order for someone to score in order for advancement to make be made someone needs to go to an open space so that the ball can move not where it is but where it needs to go how many get what I'm saying tonight that we got to be kingdom minded people does this make sense to anybody because if this soccer analogy is not working, I apologize. Maybe I'll try ballerina or something like that. I don't know anything about that, so it wouldn't work anyway. You get the soccer analogy? I don't know what's going to happen tonight. I might get unhinged here in a moment, so uh, be careful. I don't know what will come out of my mouth. But uh, this whole idea that we can't just live according to what's around us. But we've got to be people who anticipate that God is moving, that he has something in store, that we don't get stuck in the place that we are. You came here tonight anticipating something. You came here tonight anticipating something. You anticipated. Maybe you anticipated tonight, you know, that, you know, that, that you're going to hear, uh, hear someone speak. You anticipated tonight that you're going you're gonna to see someone here at church. You anticipated that when you see that person, you want to remember to tell them this. You, you anticipated something tonight. I wonder tonight, have you anticipated that God wants his kingdom to increase in your life tonight? That, God, I'm anticipating that your kingdom will increase, that your kingdom will increase or develop in my life. Let me give you a couple things tonight that, that in order for us to anticipate, 
if we're going to anticipate God's kingdom, here's some things I want you to anticipate. Three things. Number one is this. We need to anticipate that greater is possible. Anticipate that greater is possible. That there is a possibility for greater things. Here's what Jesus said of John the Baptist. John is the greatest, yet after him, the least, even the least in the kingdom will be greater than John the Baptist. Jesus, are you a politician? Are you trying to speak out of both sides of your mouth and make everybody happy? What, what are you saying? John's the greatest, but anybody else can be greater too. No, God is, Jesus is saying this, that greatness is not just held in one person. It is advancing and it's moving. That the only reason John is great at that moment is not because he's greater than Moses or greater than the other prophets. It's now that he's at a place that is further advanced. You are where you are because someone influenced your life and someone impacted your life. You never got to the place that you are on your own. You will fool yourself in life to think that you arrived. Some of you are here tonight, you say, well, Jason, I worked with my own hands. I grew up in poverty. I had to grind. I had to make it happen. I had to work hard. I had to make it happen in my life. Even if that's the case, you probably got motivated because of the garbage and the junk that you had to go through because of what you had to deal with out. You made a decision that you don't want to live like that, and that caused you to run in a direction that even that difficult thing in life pushed you in another direction, that you are where you are, not because of yourself, but because of the opportunities that have been afforded to you, the things that are around you. You are not a self-made person. It is only by the grace of God that we get to where we are. Why is that necessary? What's the importance of that? Is this, that we ought to be at a place that we're standing stronger than the people who are behind us. That there ought to be an advancement. My, my parents surprised me today. They, uh, on their way home from vacation, and so they, they stopped in Uniontown, and they were in, in church this morning. I've said of my dad, my dad is a, a first-generation preacher. I'm a second-generation. My dad got saved in 79 when I was two years old. My dad's life got completely turned around. Here's what I believe, that because of what God did in my dad's life, I don't have to experience the things that my dad experienced to get to where I am today. I've never tasted alcohol. I've never, I did not have to go to a place that my dad went. My dad got saved as an alcoholic, turned his life over to Jesus Christ. His life got turned around. You know what? I'm standing on the shoulders of a former alcoholic, which means because of the grace of God at work in his life, I don't have to become what he once was because I get to stand stronger than he got to stand before me. Do you follow what I'm saying? That, that the grace of God, now that doesn't mean, you know, if we fall into experiences, whatever. No, my, my other thought is this, that my dad carries an anointing in his life. But my, not just my prayer, but I believe according to the word of God, that God wants to put a double portion on me. He wants to put a double portion on my son. That the kingdom of God is advancing. That it ought to increase. That the least among us ought to be even greater than John the Baptist. Why is John the Baptist great? Not because he's John the Baptist, but because he's the closest in proximity to Jesus. The only reason John the Baptist was considered great is because he was the one right before Jesus. And here's what he said. That those who are the least, even after this, will be greater than him. Do you know that the Bible says that because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit put inside of our life, that we now have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead in inside of you and I, which means now we have close proximity with Jesus Christ, which means we ought to do even greater things than John the Baptist. Jesus even said himself, greater things than these. Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than what I'm doing. Somebody's mind get blown right now that Jesus said we ought to be seeing and doing greater things. I don't know if that's exciting to anybody, but the fact that Jesus says you can do greater things than these. There's greater that's always ahead of you. You have something greater to look forward to. There's something that's in store. Why? Because of Jesus in our life. You cannot get any closer to Jesus than the Holy Spirit. 
It is the Spirit of God at work. The Spirit of God dwells inside of us. And because the Spirit of God dwells inside of us, he gives us what we need that we can walk in greatness, that we can walk in greater things, not because we're great, but because the one who is in us is great. All right? So there ought to be, you can anticipate greatness. You can anticipate that greater is possible, that we ought to see greater things, that we can't anticipate. I can believe, can, can you believe with me that there can be a church that will blossom in Bel Vernon, that we can have a faith assembly of God, Bel Vernon, that it will grow, that there'll be people in Bel Vernon and in that surrounding area who will come to know Jesus Christ. Can you agree and believe with me that there are going to be men who are going to live in that home and they're going to get their lives put back in order and in, and in process and they're going to have restored marriages, they're going to have restored families and restored homes and jobs. How, how many can agree with me? and believe that God has greater things in store? How many would say and believe that there's still more that God wants to do, that the the best is still ahead of us, that we're still yet to see the greater things that God can do among a church in a people who will trust him wholeheartedly, who will give everything they have to see his kingdom come and his will be done. If you believe the best is still ahead of us, somebody give God thanks tonight if you believe that there's still more that God has in store for you and I. That greater is possible. Greater is possible, not because any of us but because of Jesus Christ at work in us. Let me give you number two what we can anticipate. Number two, you got to anticipate this. Anticipate that there will be opposition. There will be opposition. There's going to be opposition in this process, which is why the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not just advancing, but how is it advancing? Forcefully. It is forcefully advancing. If it's forcefully advancing, that means there's an opposition trying to keep it from advancing. But the force of the kingdom is greater. That here, Listen to this. The kingdom of this world will bow to the kingdom of our God. That the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of this world. And so there will be opposition. There's a reason why depression tries to overtake you. Because the enemy wants to keep you from the joy that God has for your life. There's a reason why why there's why there's there's separation in marriage and and trying to bring dysfunction and, and disunity because the enemy wants to do whatever he can to keep you from what God has for your life and sometimes it feels as if God you could show up and fix this anytime soon but how many have ever noticed sometimes it feels like God takes the long way around to do what we need done in our life I often think of that and you know Jesus they were waiting for a Messiah for a long time but God waited for that moment. When it was hundreds of years, they said, we need a Messiah. We need a Savior. We need someone to rescue us. There were 400 years of silence. And then Jesus is promised 400 years later after the prophets. And all of a sudden, Galatians tells us this. It says that when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time. Now, I don't know about you, but according to my kingdom, my time is not always the same as God's time. Anybody else would agree with me? Right? God, my timing and your timing are not the same. Because now would be a good time. But listen, there's a child that in order for that child to be fully developed, it cannot come forth prematurely. Because if it comes forth prematurely, it causes complications and difficulty. Why? Because the fullness of time had not yet come. Do you know God has, has the kingdom that he wants to develop in your life, which requires a fullness of time. And what you are walking through, what you're going through, what seems to be that opposition, is God saying and working inside of our life, developing us and making us ready so that we can be a part of God's kingdom. Do you know I believe sometimes God lets opposition happen in our life so that we know it was never about us in the first place? 
that it's not what we did, it's only by the grace of God. That it's only by the grace of God that we get to where we are because when we walk through what we've gone through, we said, oh God, only by your grace have I made. How many have been through something looking back and you're saying, oh God, except for your grace. Your gra-. How many have ever been in a place like that? You said, God, it's your grace that's brought me through this. It's your grace that is developing, and for a time such as this, no matter what that time, this moment today that God is wanting to prepare and make us ready, that there's going to be opposition. Do you know sometimes the best way to face opposition is to just be the last man standing? How many know it still counts as victory when you're the last one standing? When you're still standing, when everything else is coming against you and you feel like giving up, you feel like at that moment that it's not working, it's not developing, it's not happening, but you remain firm because the Bible says this, whoever remains standing to the end will be saved. Sometimes just saying to God, God, give me grace to stand because it's in itself is a miracle that some people, what they go through, the fact that they're still able to stand is the power and grace of God to give them strength to stand when it would have crushed a normal person. It would have crushed the average person. But the grace of God and the power of God, the work of God inside of them allows there to be a sustaining power. That that's the kingdom of God advancing and working in our lives. That it's to God's glory that we can anticipate that there's going to be opposition or problems or trouble but that we would remain standing. Let me give you this last one tonight, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come as, as they, they help us close, and, and that is this, that we have to anticipate that if the kingdom of God is going to advance in our life, we've got to anticipate that it's going to take all that we've got. It's going to take everything we have. If we're going to see the kingdom of God advance in our life, it's going to take everything that we have. I don't know if you noticed, it said that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and Did you see who takes hold of it or who attacks it or who has a hold of it? Violent people take a hold of it. It takes violence to see the kingdom of God advance in our world. I know someone in the room is like, I knew it. That's what's wrong with church. They're just violent people. They protest. They're bigots. They're not good. They got all this problem. It's not that kind of violent. Because we've corrupted violence and the whole thing, and, and you say, well, how can you corrupt violence? Well, violence to our own desire and our own doing, it becomes destructive. But there is a violence that is not destructive, at least to the things that are good. There is a violence that can be destructive to evil. And here's what the root of violence means, and that is this, to do whatever it takes. Have you ever been in a place and you've determined that you're going to do whatever it takes because it's worth giving it all you've got? That's what violence is. Violence says, I'm violent in this, and I'm going to give it whatever, I, whatever I've got. I'm going to give it whatever it takes. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up on this. I'm going to give it whatever it takes. I'm going to allow this to be developed. I need this more than anything else. This is worth it. I'm not going to give up on this. There's a story in, in Matthew 13. It's, it's a parable. Jesus gives just a one- or two-verse parable. He tells a story about a field, and in this field, uh, a servant is traveling, and he finds a treasure in the field. And when he finds the treasure, Jesus sets it up this way. He says the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's buried in a field. And when a servant finds it, he finds the treasure, and he hides it again. And then he goes back and sells everything that he's got. 
He sells everything that he has, and then he comes back and he purchases the field. Why is he doing that? He's purchasing the field because the treasure in that field is worth everything that he has. Jesus said that's what the kingdom of God is like, that the kingdom of God is worth everything that you've got, that we've got to leave some things behind in order to move into the place and the area that God has for us. In order to move into what God has, we've got to leave the things that might be around us to get to what God has for us, some things that might need to be left behind. I don't know in your life some things that might need to be left behind because it's worth giving it everything that we have for God to dominate our lives. This word dominate, of course, can, can even sound violent or, or, or vicious, that, that he's a God who dominates. He overrules us, and he's just a, a mean God. He wants to just control our lives and not allow us to have any good thing. Can I tell you, God doesn't want to dominate your life the way it sounds like that. Because God doesn't look down on you to, to rule over you. God came down to you to pick you up to rule with him. Let that sink in for a little bit. God does not want to rule over you. He stooped down to where you were, lifted you up to him, and he wants you and I to rule with him. That's a hard concept for us, isn't it? Because we're used to being lords and masters over people and people being lords and masters over us. But Jesus said it should not be that way with you. The way it is, we don't rule over each other that way. We're in this union together. I'm going to be sharing in a couple weeks about the kingdom of God and talking about it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. We're going to deal with racism. We're going to deal with some attitudes that affect our lives because we get so caught up in ourselves. But this picture of the kingdom, it's bigger than just us. It's bigger than just where we are. God wants to dominate us, and it's not that he wants to rule over us. He wants to lift us up that we can rule and reign with him. How do we have the spirit of self-control? Except that we give God control of our lives, and then he in turn gives us the power to have control. Do you know you can't have self-control on your own? How many have ever tried mind power and willpower? It's just not enough. Well, you can have disciplined people. But even disciplined people can only be disciplined in certain areas. Do you know every person that might be disciplined in one thing still has something else that they're undisciplined in? Why? Because in ourselves, we can't control ourselves. But when we give control to God, He then gives us the power to have control. And then we take control, not the way the world takes control, but we take control the way God would have control. That we honor God with what we do. That we honor God in the decisions, the things that that we make. God wants us to rule and to reign with him. That in order to get to that, there's some things that we might have to leave behind. I I don't know tonight if um, you can picture with me just this whole idea. It started off with a story. You got the group of kids, and they're just all huddling around that ball. Wherever the ball goes, that's where they go. That's everything they're doing. It's just wherever the ball goes, that's where they're, they're going. Their whole life is about where the ball's going. In fact, you can get a whole whole group of people just huddling, and it's just all about where the ball goes, and everybody's going to where the ball goes. You, you, you've seen that game. How many have ever been to a kid's soccer game, and you know what I'm talking about? They're just swarming the ball, just wherever the ball is going. I saw this picture, and, and fortunately they had this from the VBX, which they did an excellent job. It's been a couple, maybe a month ago or so, and this was left over from that. And I, I saw this picture of, Everybody making it about this big ball and just this ball going from side to side. They can kick it and they go after the ball. You want to help me? I want to kick that ball back here. And they just, it's all about just kicking the ball. And, 
and, and life becomes all about the ball and, and we can't even, oh, you kicked it. Oh, wait till I kick it. Let me show you how I can kick it. And it's all about going wherever the ball's going. What's your goal in life? Whatever the ball says. Whatever, whatever's going, whatever goes on, whatever it needs to happen. I saw this story this morning on the news that millennials, no offense to millennials, I am not one. I'm too old to be one. But they have said that millennials make a decision on where they're going to vacation because there's a list that tells them where there are the best Instagram photos. And so wherever they can get the best Instagram photos for their vacations, that's some of the places that they pick. Not us. We're smarter than that here in Fayette County. We're not. Anyway, it's all about image. It's all about I've got to just follow wherever it's going. I've got to just do what this is doing. And some of our lives are so caught up in just going where the ball's going, we don't even know what God is up to. We don't even sense what he's doing because our life is just all about what's going on on this ball. What's the ball? The ball is this, this earth that is spinning and we're doing whatever feels right in the moment, whatever it's about this life, and we miss it. All the while, we're controlled by this ball when there is one who created the ball. There's one who is ahead of this. There's one who is over this. There's one who says, hey, come up here. I want to show you something. I want to call you out. How many of you have ever been to a place and you had to fight the crowds? Anybody ever have to fight the crowds? You violent people. You're so violent. You're so vicious. No. Why did you fight the crowd? You fought the crowd because there was something worth going after. There was something worth going for. I wonder if we've got to learn how to fight the crowdedness of life. We've got to fight. I know you've got a lot of fighting for your attention. I know you've got to be a dad. You've got to be a mom. You've got to have a job. You've got to te- keep these things in line. And we're so busy just surrounding the ball, keeping the ball going. But when was the last time you said to God, God, I want to hear your voice. Where do you want me to go? What is it that you want me to come into? That there's an open space that you're living life the way that it is but God says I don't want you to live according to how life is I want you to live according to what I've called you to be I want you to go in the place of leadership I want you to go to where the ball needs to go I don't want you to just swarm where the ball is I want you to go what I have for you I want you to step into some open spaces we're going to Bel Vernon not because any of us saw Bel Vernon on the radar I didn't even know Bel Vernon was a part of Fayette County still I mean, I knew there was some part up there reaching, but I didn't realize that far up that it's still Fayette County. We started praying two years ago, God, give us a piece of property. Give us a piece of property that we can see lives changed. You know what? We get a phone call 11 months after saying, hey, there's a piece of property you can have for free in Bel Vernon. Do you know why we stepped in Bel Vernon? Because there was an open space. There was an open space where nobody was. And we said, God, we'll take it. God, will do. We don't know what we're doing, but it's your opportunity. We're going to step into a place. We could have stayed and just kept doing what we're doing, maintaining. You know what? We got enough room here. We got enough opportunity here. We can just keep things going here. But no, we knew that God wanted us to take dominion, to go to where we've not gone yet, to do what's not yet been done because we don't want to just be maintaining. We want to be innovating. We want to be leading. We want to be on the front lines. We want to see the kingdom of God advance. We want to say your kingdom come, your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to have dominion over this life to move in my life so that we can rule and reign with Christ that he might reign over Fayette County. And I wonder tonight, someone might need to say, you know what? I've been surrounding the ball and I've just been kicking the ball all over the place. That your focus has been all about this ball. All about this ball spinning. You're so focused on what's going on here. What's here? What's here? Where's the ball? Where's the ball? We're just all focused about where the ball is. All the while, the one who created the ball says, I want you to move away from. 
I want you to go into an area. I want you to step in. I want you to walk into what I have for you. And you know, in order for that to happen, there's a couple things. Number one, we've got to overcome the deception of occupation. I say it like that because I could say busyness, but it's a deception. How many know just because you're busy doesn't mean you're productive? I've met people who have said things like, oh, hurry up, get to work, the boss is here. Have you ever heard your kids say, hey, you better clean up, mom just pulled in, we better hurry up and do what we're doing. That, that's busy, that's not productive. Productive is when, if, whenever it's happening, we don't need to be told, we're anticipating. We're anticipating, moving forward. And so the occupation or the deception of, of occupation, just a busyness. How I many know God doesn't care about labels, titles, all that stuff? He doesn't care about any of that. I, we don't need a, a label or a title to do the things of God, the work of God. Not only the busyness or ocu- the, the deception of occupation, but secondly is this, that we've got to get over the fear of failure. How many have ever had the fear of failure? How many know the fear of failure will stop you in your tracks? I read something recently that set me free. Matthew 13, you can go back and read it. But in Matthew 13, Jesus is sending out the 12, the disciples. And he says to them, when you come to a village, find a house that is worthy of your blessing. Go into that house, stay there for the time. And then he says, if you find that the house is not worthy of your blessing, then take it back. Now that's a whole conversation we're not going to have tonight. But here's what set me free. Jesus did not say, if you go into the house and then you find out it's not worthy of your blessing, well, shame on you for going to the wrong house. All your fault. You're on your own, brother. Deal with it. No, Jesus says, if you go to the wrong house. You know what that tells me? That tells me my fear should not be be failure. My fear should be this, not failure, but staying the same. I should be more afraid of staying the same. Some of us are afraid of failure, but the fear, the real fear that we need is not the fear of failure because God can work with our failures. God can work with our mistakes. God can redirect the mistakes. Now, if there's a willing failure or a willingness to make a wrong decision, how many know that's not just a mistake, that's outright sin, all right? There's a difference. But you might make a mistake. It might not go as you anticipated. Bell Vernon might not happen the way it happened, but you know, or the way we want. But here's my point is this. I'd rather fail fail stepping out to say God we're going to trust you for something than to just keep staying where I am because if I failed how many know this I've at least learned something in the process how many know what I'm talking about if I failed I learned something in the process but if I never left then I didn't gain anything what do I have to lose remaining the same what do I have to lose staying just like I've been what do I have to lose nothing moving or changing or progressing I just remain just as I am but I don't know about you but kingdom minded people say I'm not content just staying where I am I want to move into what God has for me I'm going to move into the open space I'm tired of just kicking the big ball around I want to step away I want to fight the crowd and come into the open space and say to God I want to take hold of what you have for my life I want your work to be accomplished in my life that whatever I'm facing I believe that you're going to work this for my good and you've got something good in store and your kingdom come your will be done no matter what it is I'm violently holding on with violence I'm saying God I need your kingdom more than anything else I know the enemy's trying to take things away from me but I'm holding on to your promise because this is what matters the most have you determined tonight that the kingdom of God is worth everything